in a world where podcasts have become mundane, one soul brother with two left feet is doing his best to give you interviews straight, no chaser. Welcome to Reviews and Dud, where you can find interviews with some of your favorite entertainers. What up, world? It's your man, Derek Dunn of Reviews and Dunn, back with another interview. My guest today is primarily known as one of the premier background singers for the uberly talented Eric Roberson. But this brother has his own music. He has his own little swag. In addition to being Eric's background singer, he's much more than a background singer, in my opinion. He's, you know, he's the one that keeps his ship going. He's the one that, you know, when you look up on stage, you're always going to see uh, this gentleman rocking and keeping Eric, uh, you know, grooving. So it's my pleasure, my blessing to interview the one, the only, Demo Reese, a.k.a. Demo. Welcome to the line, sir. How you doing today? <laughs> Thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate it. And what an amazing introduction. Uh, you know, Eric doesn't even introduce me that well. So thank you. <laughs> it's all love, bro. It's all love. All right, so let's uh let's hop right into it, man. So you're a Chicago native and um Yes. I'm curious to know, man, you know, Chicago's always had its own sound, its own swag and I'm sorry, New Yorkers, but in my opinion, Chicago does have the best pizza in the US, but that's another conversation. Thank you. For another time. <laughs> so what Thank was it like going up? I will support that argument. <laughs> Well, you know, man, deep dish pizza. I, I will say this though: it's a, um, it's an art to making deep dish pizza. The chain, you know, Uno comes close, but um, when I was down in Orlando, 2013 on vacation, they had a, I think it was Giordani's. They have a, um, a location down there, and it took like um, a good hour for them to make the pizza for us. But normally, man, I can punch the pizza myself. You know, no thing. That Giordano's pizza, though, bro, one slice, I was done. Like, I didn't even finish the uh, the rest. So, growing up in Chicago, man, who were some of your early who were some of your early musical influences? My earlier uh, musical influences in Chicago. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I grew up in a primarily gospel background, so um, my influences were many. Um, of course, on the R&B and soul side as well, but my, my first influences really were, were gospel-ish. Uh, so I would say um, the Thompson Community Singers or the Tommies back in the day, I used to love going to their concerts every month. Um, and there was uh, other uh, performers as well. Um, but um, mainly uh, Commission. Um, which is still a heavy, heavy influence for me, the group commission and um, the Winans. Uh, I particularly think uh, Marvin Winans is the best gospel voice of our time, uh, and I'll fight anybody about that. I will die on that hill. No one is better than Marvin Winans um, (laughs) as far as the gospel uh, voice is concerned. Um, but, you know, that's me. So those are some of my influences. But, of course, I was influenced by uh, the soul music of, of, of the 70s and my, 
My dad was my first DJ, so whenever he's coming home, he's bringing home all this amazing music, and, um, you know, he's the one that introduced me to Donny Hathaway, and he's the one that introduced me to the Gap Band, Charlie Wilson, who still kills me, and he's the one that introduced me to Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Maurice White, another Chicago native, and you know, just uh, the huge influences that they had on me and um, how I shape my music today, it, it's, it still uh, stands. Cool, cool. So we're going to keep it in the shy, and, you know, i got to ask, man, because I'm, you know, a youngster, but what was the vibe like in 1985 when the Chicago Bears released the Super Bowl Shuffle? I've always been curious about that. Okay, well, that was 1985. So I'm dating myself even more so. I was in high school during that time, so I'm really dating myself. <laughs> but uh, uh, in 1985, the Super Bowl shuffle was everything you dreamed of and more for a football team to put out a song and to back it up. It was amazing. There was no no greater bear season than 85, not not for the fact that they won the Super Bowl that year, but for the fact that the hype and the build, even the year after, they were very good the year after, but the, the, the build-up, the hype of that year, you know, it, you, know you could, you, could uh, you know, cut it with a knife. It was just, it was just so thick. Um, Man, we were all in the Bears high, trust me. But the Super Bowl shuffle, come on, man. Classic. Instant. Instant classic. <laughs> so it's probably one of the songs you couldn't go anywhere without uh, hearing it on every radio station. <laughs> Absolutely. Didn't matter what, uh, what type of radio station it was, you're going to hear the Super Bowl shuffle on every one of them. So, yeah, they, I'm sure whoever wrote that got a, got a pretty penny for it. So you mentioned that you um, shot out in gospel, and I know you have a chance to share the stage with heavy hitters such as, you know, Commission and BB and CC Winans. What would you consider to be the pinnacle moment of your gospel singing days? Well, my gospel singing days, I think the pinnacle moment for me really was when I was singing with my own group. Uh, there's a group uh, that I was a part of. My first group, very first group, was called Statement of Faith. Um, and uh, I loved them. We grew up together in the same church, and so we, we learned a lot about performance there. But it wasn't until I uh, got on with this guy named Michael Houston and this group called Gideon that um, I really felt, um, you know, at home. And it was my first recording experience. It was the first time I ever uh, sang into a, a mic and actually, you know, recorded myself. Um, so it was it was an amazing experience, and so for me that was the pinnacle of being able to create and write your own music and sing and perform your own music, and and you know get it out here to the masses and to the people and and travel and perform you know something that I never had done before you know in Chicago we call it church hopping you know everybody goes from church to church and performs and everything else like that but for you to be able to go and travel across the country, whether you're driving, flying, whatever, to perform for other people, that's an amazing feeling. So it's something that we didn't really do a lot of um, back in the day. But, um, 
Yeah, that, that, that to me was my high point, even more so than seeing with these other artists. Cool. So before we get into um, get in, I also wanted to know, do you ever find it, um, in your gospel, did you ever find it a struggle to kind of sing secular music? Because the older that I've gotten, um, and my, with my wisdom, I think for me, listening to like Frankie Beverly and Mays, listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire, listening to The Barge, even though the stuff was, you know, standard R&B, a lot of the songs they were singing, you know, they could easily be sung in the church and it's not too far left with the uh, secular side, you know, in my opinion. I mean, I think you can easily do happy feelings in the church. I think you can do uh, devotion in the church. I think you can do um, a dream in the church by DeBarge. Um, so was that ever a struggle for you, singing secular music and trying to stay in the gospel lane in those days? It was, it was never really a struggle for me because I, I never really I didn't uh, differentiate the two in such such uh, extreme terms. You know, it was all music for me. And again, I'm raising a musical home, even though my my mom and dad can't sing a lick. <laughs> but I'm raising a musical home where they're playing music all the time and Dusty's all the time and. You know, so there really was no uh, no difference for me. Now, for me, performing um, uh, a central song or performing, like, I remember uh, uh, doing a, um, uh, Lady, Lady, uh, Lady in My Life by Michael Jackson um, for a talent show, for our church talent show um, at that. Um, <laughs> but it was at a, it, it was at a, uh, 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 community center, and um, I just remember singing songs like that and singing Peaches and Herb, uh, uh, reunited with my with my longtime friend, and so for me there was no difference. There was no difference, you know, with singing gospel and singing singing secular. It was all music. It was all good music, and I really wasn't singing anything too crazy. Now, I will tell you. Uh, in front of my house or, you know, in front of the garage, we were saying, like, Rick James, Mary Jane, and things like that. And so, yeah, we were, we were wild a little bit right there, but <laughs> but we, we had no idea that Mary Jane was this controversial song. We were just singing good, what we thought was good music at the time, and we still think it's good music. So, so yeah, you know, um, for me, there really wasn't a difference. It all blended well together. Um, but of course, you know, I, and I used to always make a gospel song out of anything. So you know, you give me any kind of crazy song, and I'm gonna I'm gonna change it up a little bit, I mean, just because of the, the church in me, I guess. <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. So you just mentioned that you had a gospel group named Gideon. By chance, yes. do you guys ever come close to getting a deal? We actually had a deal with Ty Scott Records. Um, we released an album with Ty Scott Records. The album's called Two or More. And um, it actually, I still think it's a dope, dope album and um, kind of ahead of its time at the time. Because that was back in 92, I believe. And so we released that album. And uh, I really loved working on that album. I really loved the songs. There was... Uh, quite a few songs that I that I was a lead singer on and, you know, a lot of the songs that I, you know, sang background for. So, you know, it was just really an amazing, amazing experience. And um, I love that album. I wish we could have did more. 
When you write that down, you said two or more. You know, is that available on, on any streaming platforms? Two or more, and I, I don't know if it's available in any streaming platforms. I know I have a CD, so, so brother, I will most uh, graciously share that music with you and send it to you um, if you need me to, absolutely. Because, of course, you know, it may or may not be out there, and, hey, at this point, you know, I don't need you guessing. Let me just send it to you, you know, you can rock out to it and tell me what you think. Ah, thank you, thank you, you know, man. But I believe in uh, even though we're in a streaming age, you know, I'm old school, man, so I still believe in uh, supporting your artists. So if I can get a, uh, I mean, I, I, I still stream, like, you know, I'll give artists their points, but, you know, if I can, if I can get a physical copy, I can, you know, I'm going to buy a uh, physical copy. Yeah, I, right, I, so I talking, found a, a few physical copies um, out there, um, but, it's, but it's not many. <laughs> I can't it's not many. You know, so long ago, absolutely, before all this streaming and everything else like that. Now, I'd be great if Ty Scott would release it, because I'm sure they still have it, and would release it, you know, on some streaming platforms and things like that. That'd be great. All right, so before we get into your um, solo career, um, just give us the brief story on how you linked up with the um, world-renowned Mr. Eric Roberson. I'll give you the brief, very short, brief uh, story on that. But it's an interesting story. So um, I was basically going through a separation at the time that I met Eric Roberson. So I was going through a lot in my life uh, during that during those couple years. Um, I had separated in 2004 from my my eventual ex-wife, and um, was struggling a little bit with my life and you know my direction. So um, I remember. Um, saying when I when we separated that I wanted to do more things that I want to do in this life. You know, you know, you're working your regular nine to five, you're raising your kids, you're doing what you got to do to you know live your life and of course to take care of your, your family. Um, but it leaves a little room for the things that you really want to do in life. So fast forward to around 2005, 2006. I thank uh, two people in particular. Uh, one, that would be Layla Hathaway, because she had a forum at the time uh, on her website called The Pink Room that was before Facebook, it was before, you know, MySpace or, you know, any of these other, um, um, you know, programs where you could, you know, communicate with people. Uh, you had forums. And Eric had a forum, too, but I met his publicist uh, on, um, on Layla's forum, which uh, her name is uh, Elsa Lathan. And Elsa... Uh, who was Eric's publicist at the time, um, I used to talk to her all the time about everything, anything. And I remember one time talking a lot of junk. I was talking mad smack about how I see Eric performing. I've, I've been to a couple of his shows, and I see him performing, but he always got this one background singer. You know, who is this dude? I could blow him away, you know, uh, and, um, you know, I can I kill him, you know. So I'm just talking mad smack about, you know, <laughs> you know how I can outsing this dude, right? <laughs> she basically, she basically told me, well, "Why don't you go ahead and audition? You know, send him a, a tape. Let me hear what you what you can do." I'm like, "Really? Okay, maybe." And uh, one day I was flying home um, from Chicago, and my roommate picked me up from California, and my roommate picked me up, um, and we were in the airport right about midnight. I was like, "Yo, man, I'm thinking about doing this." audition tapes for, for Eric Roberson. He was like, oh, man, let's go to the lab right now. He's a producer. So 
we went to his studio, stayed up a few hours, made a song, sent it to Eric. A couple weeks later, I get an email back from Eric, and he's basically saying, yo, man, I got somebody from Chicago already, but would you be willing to meet me in Detroit? I was like, yeah. So, of course, long story short, I met him in Detroit. To this day, I can't remember that the performance. I can remember everything before the performance. I can remember getting off the stage. I cannot remember being on that stage or anything that I did on that stage to save my life. But, um, but Eric shook my hand, uh, told me I did a good job, and uh, sent me – well, no, he didn't tell me anything. I'm sorry. He shook my hand and, 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 and you know, sent me on my way. But he didn't tell me if I did a good job. He didn't tell me anything, if I sucked, nothing. So, of course, I thought I had blew it. Um, a couple months later, he calls me, hits me up and says, yo, man, I got some shows in your area. You want to do it? You know, and I was like, yeah. And after that, he should have never gave me money because at that point, I was, like, after him for every show. I'll see a show on MySpace or I'll see a show. He'll be in Atlanta. And I'm like, yo, man, if I can get to Atlanta, can I do that show? And he's like, yeah, you know. But, you know, your, your flight can't be more than $200, and it's three days away from the show, but I find a flight for $187, and I fly down there. He's like, how are you doing this? And I did that for, like, a year. I financed my career for an entire year of just getting my own flights, getting my own car, train, whatever I had to do to get to the show, I was doing that. Drove eight hours to Toronto one time from Chicago. Uh, just whatever I needed to do to be on that stage, and and it paid off. And what, 14, 15 years later, here we are. Yes, sir. But it's so, uh, you know, cool if we get on top of the show so we don't see uh, – email up on stage next to him. All right, so let's get into this uh, solo career, sir. So 2016, before you dropped the album, you released the Mosaic, the Abstract EP. Is that a quick recording process? Well, actually, you know, interesting thing about that EP was I basically was releasing that because I had all these songs in me, and I just wanted people to hear some of the stuff that I was working on that I, did, that I didn't think was going to make the album or that I thought, um, uh, you know, I, I just thought, you know, it'd be, it'd be nice to hear. So I, I dropped that, and like I said, just to, get, just to get a little buzz. You know, it, it, it didn't do really much of anything, but, but it was really, really good to, you know, just get some music out and, and start out. Um, while I'm working on the uh, on Mosaic, the album. So from the Mosaic Africa EP, one of my favorite joints was um, The Perfect Crime. So if you had an unlimited budget, what kind of video would you shoot for that song? Ooh. Uh, well, first off, um, I'll break out like uh, a Nia Long or um, who else Who else is fine as frogs here? Let's see. You know, we, we, we got a few, but... Maybe a me alone would have been would have been my love interest, and uh, you know, because she's she's the type of woman that can definitely convince dudes to do things strange for for some change, yeah, and um, make make you feel like you know you you on top of the world, like you're a king, and when you're really a pauper. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, and of course. It would be all Chicago-based. You know, I'd be all on the lakefront, had a boat. You know, you see all the skyline. You know, it's just, you know, 
it has nothing to do with the video whatsoever. But yeah, but if I had the money, I, you know, I'd be balling out here like you know, like I was uh, Chicago fabulous or something like that. <laughs> All right, folks, before we uh, move on to, you know, hear about Demo's actual first album, if you're interested in hearing his EP, Mosaic the Abstract, it's, on, it's available on Bandcamp. It's only um, $5, so support R&B, support independent artists. The music is out there. You just have to look for it. So once again, check out Demo at Bandcamp. The album is only $5, so that's less than an extra value with McDonald's. So support real music, support R&B. I just had to give, like, you know, give that quick little spiel you know, for people to say that. R&B is dead and it's not. So let's keep moving with DMO's uh, interview. But 2016, you dropped your debut album. Shout out to you for always from that album at Eric's shows. And someone to say, I do have a physical copy. So I just want to let you know that. And Wonderful. one of my favorite songs for that joint was that uh, Don't Understand and I Want to Be Your Love. And listen to that song. You know, I always thought you'd have an MC on there. So if you had a um a remix to that joint, let's say if you had a uh a Dilla beat, you know, unheard for the beat. What MC what MC are you gonna throw in that song? Ooh, well you know, MCs are a amazing thing. But I'm gonna tell you, if I could if I could work with anybody um, I've always been a huge Busta Rhymes fan, and of course, Busta working with Jay Dilla, you saying that, you know, just makes it even more perfect. So I know he would have did something incredible on something like that. And um, again, I've always been a huge Busta Rhymes fan, and pretty much anything that he touches, I think, turns to gold. Um, so yeah, but also too, um, my my one of my favorite independent artists uh, of the time was Little Brother. So I would love to have had the two of them rocking rocking on some um, some Jay Dilla beat or joint with me as well. Um, yeah, and uh, you know it's and of course they weren't around back then. I don't think they were around. Well, maybe they were. You know, but um, I, I love me some Kendrick Lamar. Uh, I just think he's just a dope soul, and um, just what he does is is almost flawless. So. Those would be some of the artists that I would like to work with as far as MCs are concerned. Yeah, man. Shout out to Dilla, man. I mean, every time I think about Dilla, uh, man, it's just, that's, that's truly one of music's great tragedies. And, I mean, the stuff that he accomplished, you know, when he was on this earth, personally, I still don't think we got to, to Dilla. I mean, I think we got to make, we got maybe like 85%, uh, 85 to 95% of what he could actually do. And truth be told, man, you know, I put Donuts, just production on Donuts alone against any other album of that era. And mm-hmm. just, you know, production was just so masterful and so wonderful on Donuts. So shout out to uh, Jay Dilla. So recently you dropped, you know, your new single, Winter Girl, Selling That Traps. What can you tell us about that one? Well, um... First off, it was produced by a guy named Rodney Jones out of Detroit, Michigan, Art of Artes Production. And uh, Rodney and I have been working for many years. Um, I met Rodney years ago in Detroit um, while Eric and I was there for an award show. And um, since then, we've been really good friends and really great music partners. 
So I got to give him uh, a lot of love. Uh, he, he, he comes up with these crazy creative ideas. And this track actually was originally produced by uh, someone else. Um, but as some producers are prone to do, he couldn't find the music. Uh, he had lost the music on his hard drive. And we couldn't use the two track because it was really not mixed well, not at all. And shout out also to, to my uh, engineer, uh, Antona Malbert, um, Atonal Productions, and uh, he's just, he's a beast. He's been, he's been mixing uh, a lot of Eric stuff um, lately, but, um, but, he's, but he's really good, one of my best friends, and really an amazing mixing engineer. But he couldn't do anything with it, so we had to figure it out. I sent it to Rodney. Rodney came up with this amazing, incredible track over what I had, what I had written, and I really love this song. Uh, the song really speaks to uh, what I think is, you know, some of the, uh, the the struggles that a woman goes through um, when um, they have been jilted or when their heart has been hardened by by love and you know the ups and downs of it, and um, a man like myself or, you know, like yourself, I'm sure, brother, stepping out to try to tell that woman that, you know, you know, I can make this thing better for you. We can, we together, we can, we can warm your heart and, you know, just make love and life better for, for all of us. No doubt. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to ask about, uh, Aftershave Love, but I mean, I'm going to let folks know, if you get a chance to hear Aftershave Love and you're following um, Emo and Eric on, on, on social, um, social platforms, be sure to subscribe to Eric's musical platform. The process, Demo has some amazing work on there. Eric has a ton of work on there. And Aftershave Love is uh, something special. That's all I'm going to say about that. I mean, I'm not going to spoil it. Demo's not going to spoil it either, but I urge you guys to subscribe to Eric's process and check out a lot of music on there that's some great music so let's keep it moving so you know it's, it's the covid man and everybody pretty much uh the first couple months and we were all just stuck up in the house so did you find yourself revisiting any older movies in your downtime it, well you know i always have some go-to's and one of my go-to movies is more better blues um you know but well, we've discussed that on Eric's page and things like that. But another movie that is just one of my all-time favorites, I can't get enough of, is the movie Life uh, with Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence. You know, it has so many gems, so many quotable lines, um, and I could watch that movie over and over and over again. You know, <laughs> it's hilarious. And uh, I, I think it was like one of those underrated movies that just didn't, just didn't get enough love for whatever reason, but man, what a gem, you know, and just an amazing, amazing piece of work. So, yeah, for me, uh, yeah, no old movies and, and binging on um, mad TV shows, uh, I binged on Ozark. I, I hadn't given Ozark an, an opportunity, a chance. Eric kept talking to me about Ozark, and I'm like, whatever. It's too much, you know, too much, too much TV out here. But I finally watched it and was blown away. Um, and then too, I watched Game of Thrones during the uh, during the uh, this pandemic as well. So 
uh, there was a couple of shows that I that I gave a chance, you know, that I would not have given a chance if I was actually out here in these streets like I wanted to be. <laughs> I feel you, man. Yeah, my wife and I, we finally got into um, Insecure. So, you know, we finished the entire series up yeah. to this point, like in about a week. And then my joint was yeah. um, Kingdom on Netflix. It, I had already um, hit the Kingdom, the MMA show, before it hit Netflix. But um, actually, you know, I feel about physical media. So I had a DVD set of season one and season two. And during my downtime and my part-time gig, I would just watch Kingdom, man. You know, Kingdom had me pulled in, like, Every single episode, and I don't even like MMA like that. But Kingdom was a amazing, amazing show. All right, so before we, uh, you know, close it out, man, you know, I got to hit you with some hard, just thinking cap questions. So you know, get ready. Let's let's let's, let's see what you can come up with. So, All right. what's one essential album? Just give me one essential album you feel that every singer songwriter should listen to. Uh, Stevie Wonder's song in the key of life. Yeah, I think that's what you were gonna say. Everybody that I interview, they always say songs in the key of life. I don't think it's been one person that hasn't mentioned songs in the key of life. Yeah, so, you know, songs wow. in the key of life, folks. Is Demos co-signed on that? Stokely Smith Edition co-signed on that? The guys from 12 co-signed on that? Um, the homie Maddie Rich co-signed on songs in the key of life? That's the album you need to hear if you're um, going to pursue music. So earlier... We talked about pizza. So when we're in Chicago, what's the one pizzeria spot every tourist should make time to visit? Uh, my favorite pizza spot by all, uh, you know, by all means, my favorite is Beggar's Pizza. And let me, let me flip it on you for a second. Don't get the deep dish. Get the thin, thin crust. It'll blow you away because it's still thick, but thin, but thick. <laughs> it's hard for me to, to to put into words, but Beggar's Pizza is amazing. All right. Cool. So you folks heard that. But I'm sure, you know, there's other spots, but, you know, you got to go with Demo's uh, recommendations. He is a Chicago native. Yes. Yes. All right. The year is 1973. You're in the music industry, and you have a chance to either work with Willie Hutch on the Max soundtrack or with Norman Whitfield on the Temptations Masterpiece album. Who are you going to rock with? Hmm. That's hard, bro. Hmm. Ah. Okay, I'm going to go with... It's really a toss-up for me, but I'm going to go with Willie Hutch. But it's really a toss-up. I could work on both of those either either way. But but just the Max soundtrack was – it was so badass. So, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with that because it was just – it was it was really hard <laughs> for, 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 for the time, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And shout out to uh, Norman Whitfield, man, who was real. I mean, I think music, music connoisseurs, music fans give Norman his uh, his props. I really don't think the public gives Norman enough credit, in my opinion. And also, Absolutely. I really don't think that people give Dennis Edwards enough credit for the Temptations, what they were doing, because people forget mm. that um that that Dennis had a longer run with the Temptations than, than David did. 
And like the stuff they were doing with um the stuff they were doing with with uh, Dennis and Norman like in the seventies, like it was just hit after yeah. hit after hit after hit. It's not a, you know, no shade towards David Ruffin because he is a legend. But you know, I really don't Absolutely. think that we give Dennis enough credit because Dennis was the voice behind it, son of you know, songs. He kinda elevated them to what David kinda started. Shout out to the Temps, shout out to the late great Norman Whitfield. All right, this last hard question, uh, let's, let's see what you come up with. I have I have my little answer who I think you could play, but Ava DuVernay is directing. You got Ryan Cooper doing the script, and you have uh, DJ Premier doing the score. You know, you get that phone call and they say, Demo, my brother, my Chicago native, we want you to play someone in a biopic, and you get to pick who you, who, who you going to play. Who's, who's biopic is this? It's your choice. You got Ava directing, you got Ryan Cooper doing the score, okay. and you got, got uh, Pete got Rock you. and Primo doing the score. Got you. If, if, it's got to be the Donnie Hathaway biopic. It's got to be. We got to tell Donnie's story. Donnie's story must be told. And the, the, not only, the, not only the, the, the amazingness of how he even came to be, but also to the struggle, you know, you know that, that he dealt with, that we don't know for how long that he dealt with, but obviously that he dealt with, you know, until his timely demise. But man, the Donny Hathaway story—that's that would be an amazing, amazing story to be told, and I would love to be a part of that somehow, some way. I I would be the dude that plays the triangle. Just let me be in the room. Yeah, Donnie has a Donnie has a um, just amazing, like I said, an amazing story. And I mean, he's another one. It's like you know, we know about Donnie's um, just amazing vocal prowess, but his whole thing with the mental illness, with the um, what he was going through. Yeah, I think Donnie has a really um, heartbreaking but story that needs to be um, told. That you know, we really never find out. I mean, why you right. know what happened? What happened? So yeah, definitely a right. dope story. Right, let me think of, uh, think of one more, uh, one more tough one. It's off, off the cusp, you know, got his relationship to Chicago. So, you know, when Jordan, was, when Jordan was the man, you know, when I was a youngster, do you think Scotty deserved to get the same pay as Jordan or at least an increment of what Jordan was making? Absolutely. There, there will be no six championships without Scotty. There will be no six MVPs for Jordan without Scotty. Uh, Scotty not only was uh, the perfect, uh, you know, one-two combination with Jordan, uh, Scotty was a force in his own right. Scotty even did well even after the Bulls, the Portland, and, you know, he, he was still a great player even, you know, outside of Jordan. So we can't dismiss his importance, nor can we dismiss, you know, uh, that he – that he pushed through, maybe made some mistakes, but he definitely pushed through even while uh, being not uh, uh, giving the proper um, uh, accolades and, and compensation for the type of job that he did. You know, and it's just, and it's just a sad state of affairs because, hey, you know, the Bulls organization at that time was quite miserly. 
Oh yeah, no doubt. And it's it's one of those things that I just um I liken it to um you know, not maybe maybe not reading the contract and not really knowing how things um work. But I'm thinking right. hopefully, you know, any young athlete, hopefully they took the time to watch Jordan's last dance, last dance documentary and they kinda know it's like, you know, get what you're entitled to. I mean you can still be the, you know, if you want somebody else to be the man and be the star, but you know that you're integral to their success, make sure you're getting paid what you're worth and don't ever let nobody shortchange it. I you think know, what it comes should... Go ahead, Go ahead. I think, I think what it also should, should tell you as a young person is that you should always bet on yourself. You should always gamble on yourself. Scotty, because he had family and and people depending on him, knew he was great, but didn't bet on himself that you know I should hold out for the for the big money, or or for more money because I am that good. I will be able to provide for my family. I will be able to do the things that I need to do. But you got to bet on yourself too. Definitely. All right, folks, we got. Mr. Demo Reese, a.k.a. Demo, a.k.a. Chicago native, a.k.a. an historian who experienced the Chicago Bears shuffle when I was all four years old, so I had to ask the man about that. I highly, highly urge you guys to support Real R&B. His music is available on all streaming platforms, so whether you got Amazon, Spotify, um, Apple Music, check out Mosaic, check out Winter Girl, and once again, please, please, don't say R&B is dead if you guys aren't supporting it. Go over to Bandcamp, drop a little $5, you know, it's less, it's less than an extra value meal, less than a uh, Starbucks cup of coffee, and check out this brother's EP. You won't regret it. Find on social media. Yeah. yeah, at Demo Soul is my social media for every everything. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Demo Soul, D M O S O U L, and my website is DemoSoul.com. All right, folks, so it's at Demo Online, and as always, I close it out with a quote by the late great Maurice White, and that is, "Keep your head to the sky." Until the next time, done out. Yo, check it out. This is the Wild Cowboy with a lot of style, boy. One of one, untraceable. Punk jump up to get beat down. Slow down. And yo, I want y'all to check out this podcast, yo. Y'all been listening to the reviews and done with your host, Derek Dunn. Be sure to check out reviewsanddone.net. Understand that. Reviews and done. That's D-U-N-N.net. Word up. It's a good combination. Dot X and done. What's messing with that, peoples?